Welcome to the new series of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive. I'm Eggs Benedict. And I'm Alice... Was... Oh, 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 he interrupted <laughs> you already. That was a bad start. Well, it was, an, it? It was an afterthought. <laughs> oh, I'm Alison Barton-Simmons. Yeah, we've fucked it up already. Never mind. So, as you, li- as you will have heard on listening to the new theme tune... We are doing something that's not The Good Life, this series. We kicked the arse out of it last series and we enjoyed it very much. But we're going to do something fresh. We're doing Faulty Towers. Oh, amazing. Looking forward to it. What do you think of when you think of Faulty Towers? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? The board outside the hotel that the kid changes the letters on. Yeah. And what's your favourite? Everyone's favourite's Flowery Twats, isn't Flowery it? Twats. Yeah, I think it is. I think because um, it, I think it mystified a massive percentage of the country at the time because Twats, isn't a or it wasn't at the time i don't think it wasn't really a a, a national swear word i think it was it's more of a is it more of a northern thing a twat i think also well they say twat in america and yeah. in new zealand mm. they say twat twat here although it's not very common but um i think there is an older meaning of the word twat which isn't dirty oh right okay which is pos- possibly how they got away with it um in the 70s it seems in the when you think about it it's quite um Think, thinking about it now, you just—I don't think you would see that. You, you're not like on a prime time sitcom. No, it's no just some, it's not something you would see. But yeah, flurry twats is my favourite. Yeah, we are setting the tone for how we're going to deep dive faulty towers by getting are, straight st- already stuck straight into flurry twats. <laughs> What's your favourite? Well, it's not my favourite, but I always think about like the the major the major classic scenes that everyone loves, like um, him bashing the car with the branch. Yep. And when he reveals the rat at the end of the very last one. Yes. And he op- it's supposed to be a cheese board and he goes to them, can I interest <laughs> you in a rat? Trying to like pass it off. So it's all those classic things. And, and of late, it also makes me think of um, the Major. We'll talk about that in a bit, I think, with the Major managed to get Faulty Towers taken off yes. streaming services a couple of years ago due to yep. the racist language. Because he was a racist character, not because the show was racist. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. But no, it's it's a good one, I think, to get stuck into. And let's be brutally honest, we've also chosen it because everyone loves it. It was voted um, the Britain's most favourite sitcom about eight or nine years ago. Americans, um, they don't love it as much as Monty Python, but they're aware of it. And mm. they certainly had, had a few stabs at remaking it, as we'll discuss. Yeah. And yeah, and people in Australia and New Zealand love it. So we're sort of going, like, trying to build the audience a bit, really, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> it's international, isn't it? It's got... Um... International love, I think, as has um, Faulty Towers, um, and it's 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 one that's always been on on my radar um, in terms of sitcoms from um, the past few decades. And like many things in the seventies, I always thought that it was like a long running, um, successful sitcom. And it's only in recent years that I've realised that there were there was a really limited amount of of actual episodes that were that were made and, and, and showed on, on TV. Mm. Was it very 12 so. altogether? So two very, very short series for something that was so successful. But there's loads of things in the 70s where I think it was like long, like long, like, like for example, the, the TV show for kids, Bagpuss, in the 70s, I thought that it was like forever on TV. But I think there was only yeah. like 13 episodes of that made. So it's in, it's in good company with Bagpuss. <laughs> Wow. It's just one of them that you just don't you, you you think has been around forever because of its longevity, but it's actually to it's just very very short, punchy, successful series. 
I remember watching Bad Puss as a kid, like almost oh. every day. How did I not trigger that? How did I not twig that it was like the same episode just, every two just, weeks on a just loop? Just on a loop. It was just on a loop. It's like every fortnight, it was just repeated. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, I like Bad Puss. Mm. I liked Emily and uh, Professor Yaffle as well. Yeah. We anyway, shall this fix isn't. It. We shall make it. Fucking hell. Anyway, this isn't the Bad Puss over, uh, Deep Dive Overdrive. <laughs> Now, let's stick to sitcoms. Oh, maybe that's a spin-off of kids' um, TV from the 70s and 80s. That'd be good fun. So, obviously, um, we hope that you're sticking with us if you um, enjoyed The Good Life. And now that we're doing Faulty Towers, maybe it's not up everyone's street, but hopefully you'll just watch along with us and enjoy it with us because it's only 12 episodes, as we say. Mm. We think it's a great show, although we don't have the same sort of um, connection to it that we... A personal connection to it, I think it's fair to say, isn't it? As a good life, we're not as fond of the actors as as um, as we were Richard Bryars. There's a real sort of um, emotional connection to those actors, whereas these guys, they're just. Um, I don't have any uh, antipathy towards them, but they are, you know, they're just actors in a sitcom to me. <laughs> I don't I know. About that, you. They, yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. I think um, it's it's a series, like I said, it's all it's a series that I've always been aware of, and I think when I was younger, it was like the slapstick chaotic element that that i i enjoyed um mm. but i think re-watching it now as an adult i don't think i've re-watched it in recent years to be honest this is the first time that i'm looking back at it while doing a deep dive which I'm, I, at first i thought oh god is that is that a bad thing is that something that i'm going to regret sort of like not putting in the um the time prior to this to um, um, watching it and deep diving it previous to this but i'm actually quite looking forward to to seeing it through different eyes and and truly deep diving it as if as if I'm watching it afresh, I suppose. Yeah, and we've discussed as well in future series, we might do ones that we've never seen, like mm. The Lightly Lads or um, you've never seen Rising Damp, have you? Only one, one or two of those. I've never, it's not one that I, um, I sort of might be fun start to end. Yeah, I, I think so. So I, I am, at first I felt, I felt like I was um, not doing, doing the pod job properly. However, I mm. now feel like, um, I've got that excitement. I've got the excitement of doing it, and and it's like oh, with with like sort of fresh wonder. I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing it all from from start to finish. As as we're as with last season, this first episode is just going to be a general discussion about about faulty towers, hmm. and then starting from next week, we'll start from episode one and and do the the following twelve sequentially. But just before we have a, a general chat about faulty towers, some roundup things from series one because we've been a bit bowled over. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, is that fair to say. I, I have been very been much. Is, over. Yeah. By the uh, support we've had, and there's people who still, even though we haven't released a, a new episode in months, send us tidbits from tidbits, not tidbits. What is it? Tid tidbits. I would say tidbits, but I feel like it is tidbits. Is it? Am I thinking of Barbara's pokies again? I think you are. <laughs> I need to get off that subject. There's one for Although, the tab. Yeah, no, there are some tits in Faulty Towers as well, so we'll come to that. Um, but no, we've been sent lots of lovely things we're sent um, from the very sweet and 
lovely feedback we've had to the bizarre, like a, a audio clip of Penelope Keith saying, "Fuck off." <gasps> Stunned. And also a guy who wrote a song inspired by the podcast about the good life, which was amazing. I mean, isn't that wonderful? We just, yeah, fancy that. I didn't, I didn't know what to say, but we really appreciated it. Yeah, we did. And we also managed to unearth subsequent to the end of that of 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 series one, we unearthed the two thousand and three episode of Beyond the Box, Margot Ledbetter, which talked about what Margot's character did after the end of The Good Life. Didn't mm. feature Penelope Keith or any of the original cast. Paul Eddington was actually dead by then, I suppose. And it's absolute aberration. Mm. But if you wish to watch it, join our Facebook group where we shared it in its entirety and you can see just how bad it is. Just be prepared. Yeah. Margot goes lesbian in it, doesn't she? <laughs> For a while. It's that fan fiction all over again. <laughs> I know. She gets her les trousers on, like you. <laughs> so yes yeah, so join the facebook group sign up to the newsletter and we'll also maybe um after the faulty towers run we'll let our facebook group members and, and newsletter subscribers help us pick the third series yes from a short list so there's your incentive if you want to sort of sway the way we go with the with the third series yeah so faulty towers al faulty towers Hello, Just a bit of um, a bit of an overview then. So it was there was two series, 1975 and 1979. Quite a big gap between the two series then, wasn't there? Mm. Which is unusual. You think they'd be sort of throwing them out, but the the more sort of reading I've done around Faulty Towers and about the writers John Cleese and Connie Booth, um, they were proper perfectionists, weren't they? When it came to writing, they spent so much time and effort on on one episode as most writers would spend on like a full series. So they were they were proper into it and I think they really enjoyed what they did. I think it was like a month for every episode, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. But that that's quite a big it, deal, isn't it? That's quite a, a lot of effort. But also, I mean, in seventy five the first series was out, it was a slow burner, like a lot of these things mm. are, as we discuss, as we discussed, the good life didn't didn't I'm gonna have to start stop going on about the good life, but it didn't take off, did it? Until no, no, um, a strike happened and ITV was off air. Yeah. And yeah. I think Faulty Towers was a little bit of a slow burner because at the end of the first series they were getting about three million views, but the first episode of the second series, four years later, had yeah. thirteen million views. So all the repeats in the interim period had cemented its status, you know, as yeah. a classic. And I think even even after the like the pilot episode. Uh, those in charge at the BBC weren't really enamoured, were they? They were they were sort of like, oh, it's a bit sort of slapsticky, it's a bit daft. Are we that bothered? Yeah, I think John Cleese in a clip I saw read out a letter from the BBC from somebody there describing yeah. it as 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 dire as its title, and it's not going to be anything but a disaster. Mm, so but he kicked himself afterwards, didn't he? <laughs> well, John Cleese seemed to enjoy rubbing his nose in it. Yeah, clip I saw. Yeah, he didn't name check him, but I think he was tempted. Um, so yeah, so it. Oh, of course, we should probably also mention that in between seventy five and seventy nine, um, John Cleese and Connie Booth, who were married, they were a husband and wife team, divorced in between the first and the second series. I find and yet this carried on working together. Absolutely, I, this is one of the things that I'm looking forward to. Sort of whilst we're deep diving, just just having a, an awareness of as as a team. Most teams, despite even if they weren't married, 
teams of people that sort of fall apart, you'd just give up on the project, wouldn't you? And you think, oh, I just mm. don't want to see that person's face. I don't want to be involved. Let's just forget it. And they carried on. They were able to carry on and produce something that's that's with such a the, the longevity of a of a top sitcom that has to be funny. And and you know yourself that if you if you're sort of not happy, it's quite hard to to be funny, isn't it? It's quite hard to sort of stay up and and productive. But they managed it. Yeah, I don't know if maybe the fact that there was so much conflict and anarchy in the show helped them because if they had to write like a lovely feel good gentle um esmond and larby type show they might have struggled a bit more but um i know that they did describe uh connie booth did say that working as a husband and wife team helped them as as nothing was off limits okay you know yeah that everything was available to them i mean it's quite nice isn't it i think more people should strive to be have great relationships with their with their exes particularly over in new zealand it just doesn't seem to be the done thing no, no. So it was incredible that they were able to carry on. It feels like the, the Fleetwood Mac of, of sitcoms because yeah, you just think, oh my God, how they've obviously channeled all that feeling and all that emotion. And and I, yeah, I am, I am, especially with the second series, I am. That's that's one thing I am looking forward to, sort of analysing and looking at. Yeah, see if there's any little little mm, tells. Yeah, that sort of give something away. Yeah. yeah. So famously, the concept of Faulty Towers was inspired by a visit that the Monty Python crew had to a Torquay hotel, not the one that was used in filming. That one mm. was actually in, Buck- in Buckinghamshire, not in Torquay. Yes. But the the hotel was uh, called the Glen Eagles Hotel, and the owner was a chap called Donald Sinclair, who, yeah. who walked around being obnoxious to everyone, and John Cleese found this fascinating. And most, yeah. of, the, most of the Python crew were just like, this is... This is a bit off, but Cleese was like busy storing it all away. Absolutely, for a project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he sort of put that away, didn't he, for um, for a couple of years. And it, when it when it came to sitting down and, and sort of brainstorming an idea with 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 Connie Booth, it, it was like the first thing that came to his mind. I think wasn't it? Yeah. The um, I think they actually did. I don't know if it was the two of them wrote it, but he definitely wrote a scene for a show called Doctor at Large yeah. or a sketch. On ITV, in which was which was based on this um, Donald Sinclair mm. character, this this rude hotelier, and it's sort of like the the blueprint for what Faulty Towers would become. And you yeah. you can watch that clip online, so I'll I'll um, tweet it out at some point. Mm. It's not obviously it's not Basil Faulty, but you can see elements of what would there, become yeah. Basil Faulty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you say, it didn't really get going, did it? Until like the Python crew fell apart. It was a few years, really. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It must have always been on his mind, though, to do something with that character. Um, it obviously made such yeah. an impression on John Cleese that it was. It was. It was. He, he built a whole two series sitcom around around this obnoxious, rude man <laughs> that he'd come across yeah. briefly. What an impression that, that he must have made. Well, I mean, the whole thing really does hinge on Basil, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, it is. The Basil show, really. I mean, as good as the supporting cast are, and they certainly do add things. The the show is is you know it, it hinges on this maniacal, kind of eccentric, yeah, bu- bully of a man who's quite an obnoxious emotional cripple, really. But um, do you know what? Do you know the, the, from the brief sort of like rewatching that I have done so far, I, I do feel a bit sorry for him <laughs> on occasion. 
I think on he occasion, is a, yeah, he's a monster. He is a he is a maniacal monster, isn't he? Um, and and often the he is he's the he's the reason for his own downfall and the problematic things that go on around him. He's off. He's off, He's obviously sometimes the instigator in that. But sometimes I think, oh my god, like it's, I've got a feeling that on rewatching, I, I'm not gonna warm to Sybil at all which as a woman I feel like oh I'm doing her a disservice but I find her fucking annoying yeah I think she um she was written apparently to be quite different than she turned out to be okay uh, from what I understand Prunella Scales who, who obviously plays Sybil Faulty and she was starred with Richard Briers in The Marriage Lines which is yes. what she was mainly known for at this point mm. um she at the table read just sort of brought a different energy to the character. Okay. I think she was supposed to be a little bit more sympathetic and not quite as abrasive. Strident. Yeah, 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 exactly. She's just she brought her own thing to it and initially Okay. Um, Cleese and Booth were like, I'm not sure about this, but then they realised it was it was actually helping the overall um not the plot, but the um the setup, you know, yeah, of how like the, the character was. development. Yeah, you can sort of yeah, see, yeah, yeah. you can see, um, faulty. Often, his behaviour is a reaction to, to her, and it was. It was well, his primary of... driver is just basically to stay out of trouble with her. That's all he yeah. really wants. The thing he's scared most of is like getting it from Sybil, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, so the fact that she was so abrasive made that driver in in Basil Faulty's character more apparent. Mm. And it served it well, you know. It served his panic and showed yes. why he was quite so maniacal. Yeah. And the thought of her, the thought of her coming home and finding O'Reilly doing the building instead of the other guy or whatever, you know. Yeah. Oh, I know. I think she's brilliant. Um, I actually, so you know the way. Obviously, you would think people would fancy Polly. Yeah. Did you fancy? Sybil? I like. I liked Sybil a bit. Yeah. Did I have you? To say I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why. It must have been mm. the beehive. <laughs> the crazy golfing outfits. She's only what? She's only like early forties, wasn't she? Oh shit! See, I, she always seems so much older. The character of Sybil. Yeah. I always think the the likely likelihood is that they're the sort of supposed to be like our age now, and it just feels like they were so much, so much older. Yeah, I get that with with all, a load of these old mm. shows, and it's not just the fashion. It's, no, it's their demeanor. And demeanor, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously you've got Basil, and he's you know played by John Cleese expertly, who always was an, uh, a master of physical comedy, which is what Basil does a lot of. Yeah. And then we've you know, we've got Sybil as, as his battle axe wife. The most memorable trait of Sybil's was probably her laugh. Wasn't oh, the it? laugh. Yeah. The laugh. We did a we did the poll last year um, to see what the most iconic sitcom laugh was, and I was expecting Jerry to get it. From the good life, uh, yeah. Because of our listeners being, mm. you know, most of the people following us, but Sybil won it. Oh, not for you. No, I think it's like a, a, a like a knife on a plate. That's. I, I feel. I feel like I'm gonna feel the same way about Sybil as you felt about Tom Good. Hmm, that'll be an interesting mm. switcheroo, then, won't it? Yeah, it will. <laughs> it will. <laughs> it's probably a good point to mention that we're not planning on doing MVP this series, are we? No, because I think it'd just end up going to um, Polly. I was I was trying to say Connie Booth, but yeah, to Polly every every yeah. week because she just gets them out of the um, the shit. Well, she's the normal one. Yeah. In, in in a lot of these sitcoms, a lot of classic sitcoms, and even modern sitcoms, 
where you've got such surreal behaviour out mm. there, outlandish behaviour, they often insert the one who is the normal one, but yes. only only relatively speaking. Like, you know, Father Ted is the normal one in Father Ted, but he's still off his fucking cake, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think it'd be like Polly or Manuel for the sympathy vote of like, oh, poor Manuel, he's got it in the neck again. Yeah, maybe, but Polly would just get it because she bails him out the shit every episode. Yes, every so, time. So yeah. there's no point having an MVP, is there, no. I don't think? No, I don't think so. Not this time. I can't see the Major winning any. <laughs> I really like the way the major asked for the papers, so I'm going to give him my MVP. <laughs> I'm just going to give it to that kid every week for changing the uh, letters round on the board. Yeah, you're just hoping for a cameo from Mr. Coles. So I hope he comes do. back. Yeah, I hope he does. I'm trying to think who else is a classic, normal one, in sitcoms. Um, Edmund Blackadder, I suppose. In Blackadder goes for well, in fact, most of the Blackadders, apart from the first one, yes. he is the normal one. Yes. Surrounded by incompetent buffoons, isn't he? Yes, yeah, he is. I mean, he's a bastard, but he's relatively sane compared to the rest of them. But uh, yeah, that's what Polly is. She's the mm. person who is the anchor in the show to make to to give us a sense of this could actually be real. This yes. this could be a normality. Yeah. And she she given that she wasn't an experienced actor, she I think she does it very really well. Absolutely, she does. Yeah, I think as a, as a writer, she's already sort of. Up there in in my esteem, is that what I mean? She's um, I think she's massively talented, but to see her act as well, mm. it's I think it's brilliant. And because she she actually left the business, didn't she? She did uh, Pamela Stevenson and just became a psychotherapist, psychotherapist. or psychologist. Yeah, yeah. I always think that's really impressive. At, you know, at that time of life, I'm sure she was f- fairly well off from making such a hit show. Yeah, but just to say, oh, I'm going to do something different now. Such yeah. a radical change. Mm. Mm. She did five years studying in London and then she was a psychotherapist up till her retirement. Wow. Amazing. Happy credit. Manuel Towers, how are you? And of course, the final main character who rounds off the quartet is probably the most lovable, do you think, Manuel? I think he is, yeah. I think he's a fab character. I love the way in that one scene that... The, the major leads him out of the hotel when he's banged his head and he's like he's like he's walking a monkey. Yes. <laughs> Love that there's, scene. There's so much there's so much to that that part as well. There's like the comedy element, there's the slapstick element, the physical sort of side of it as well. Uh, the fact that the majority of his lines are in Spanish or some kind of mm. like cod Spanish. I am from Barcelona. It's it is a multitasking at its finest, I think, and very funny. Yeah, he's very very good in it, and he, I think he's sort of like he plays it with real flamboyance and mm. and hams it up, which is what's necessary for the for the part. Yes, yeah. Uh, I don't think you could overplay it too much, could you? I think he and I think he when you sort of see Andrew Sachs being interviewed since, and he's quite an unassuming bloke, isn't he? He's quite mm. quite a calm and a mellow guy, so. I bet he wasn't when he picked up his voicemail in 2009. Oh, God, no. I think about that a lot and I feel feel really bad. Well, allegedly, allegedly, that was never really a voicemail. It was just a comedy radio stunt. Is that right? Well, depending on who you listen to. The producer says something different to what Russell Brand says, you know. But, I mean, he probably would never have been aware of it, but for the furore that surrounded it. Is that right? and then he's like, shit, my granddaughter uh, gets about. 
Yeah, you probably would never have never have thought about this. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Right. Okay. Poor Andrew. He's dead now, of course, isn't he? He's the one who's um. Well, I say the one who's dead. Obviously, the major's dead because he was about two hundred in the yeah. show, wasn't he? But um, yeah. the major, of course, played by Ballard Barkley. Ballard Barkley. That's a stage name. Yeah, Ballard. Would you ever consider calling your kids Ballard? <laughs> never, never, because no. of the shortened nickname version of being called Ball, I suppose. Yeah, or Ballard. No, probably Ballard. I think we should bring Ballard back. I think we could get uh, if we can get a listener who's so obsessive about Faulty Towers that they've called their kids Ballard, then please get in touch. We want to hear from oh, you. I'd, love to, I'd just... love to see a picture of baby Ballard. It's just not a baby. You just imagine him in the in the like a, in a baby ground that looks like the major's jacket. Yeah, it's like a like a suit, like a, a double breasted suit with with brass buttons. <laughs> Good morning, major. Very well, thank you. <laughs> the two other recurring characters, other than the, yeah, peripheral recurring characters, other than mm-hmm. the major, are the little old ladies, aren't they? The old ladies that live there. Did did, did they live there? Did they actually sort of? Is that their house, or do they just visit very often? I think they're residents, like like the major, the residents, Miss Tibbs and Miss Gatsby. Bless them. Who repri- they reprised their roles as Miss Tibbs and Miss Gatsby in an episode of Only Fools and Horses in 1983. Is that right? That's so That's interesting. Bit of trivia. Were, yeah. What did they live in in Nelson Mandela House or something? I think they might have done because they were at a residents' association meeting. I think. Wow. I don't know if you remember remember the one where. Rodney became head of the Residents Association meeting. Oh, I need um, to go and find this. Yeah. and That's so cute. Their names aren't said, but they are done up exactly the same and they're the same yeah. two actors. So they're credited as playing Miss Tibbs and Miss Gatsby. That's ace. And we did talk about sitcom crossovers that we wished had happened, didn't we? In a, well, that's in an one old that episode. I would never have imagined. Faulty Towers no. and All the Fills and Horses. We were talking about Alf Garnet and Desmond's, weren't we? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Even less likely. And then, of course, as well as the main cast peripheral characters, there's some pretty cool, well-known cameos, mm. guest appearances, aren't there, from you know well-known faces? Yes. Who's your favourite, do you think? Um, I tell you one that really wound me up <laughs> already. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it Cribbins? No, it wasn't Cribbins. No, I oh. no, I always I love to see Cribbins in whatever Cribbins is doing. Yeah, I love a bit of Cribbins. Uh, no, it was um, the deaf lady. Um, what? Joan Sanderson plays a lady who has um, problems with her hearing, and there's the whole sort of like misunderstanding and. Lots of what, 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 and she doesn't quite get what's going on, and yeah, there's all sorts of issues around this lady not knowing what's what's going on, and I just found I found it just really irritating. It's because it's that thing about why can't you sort it out, isn't it? You're watching something infuriating, yeah. Going even though you know it's a sitcom and it needs to go wrong for there to be conflict, you're watching it going, God, this is just a clusterfuck. Someone needs to go in there and sort this shit out. I struggle with that though. <laughs> problems with faulty towers because i do struggle with being able to as, as an audience member seeing the problem unfold and then watching the characters try and sort it out and knowing what the answer is at home and mm. like the certain episodes of tv shows that i can't watch i just can't watch 
There's an episode of Friends where Joey and Chandler lose baby Ben on the bus. And I can't watch it because it just gives me so much mild peril that I just I, I, I can't I can't watch it unfold because it just bothers me so much. Did they use a brass tone in, in Friends? They should do as well. Yeah, that it deserves a brass what tone. What do you think the American audience would make of a brass tone in the middle of Friends? <laughs> I just oh god, in a close up, close up of Ben on the bus as he disappears around the corner. No, I I, I do struggle with um with mild peril. So so yeah, I I think I think faulty towers for me is that's going to be a, an issue that I need to you know be aware of. Well, a lot of the guests are problematic. Um, a lot of them aren't problematic because Basil's just a grump and he's just. Yes impatient with them but some of them really are I'm not, I'm not the most patient man in the world but I can this is where you really get on Basil's side because you go mm-hmm. oh, I don't know how I don't know how anyone would put up with that yes you know you Bernard Cribbins is really annoying his character because he's so fastidious I mean he's yes. brilliant in it don't get me wrong and there's the the dinner party one where uh, Polly gets dressed up as Sybil who's left Basil <laughs> And, and gets into bed pretending to be Sybil. And some of Basil and Sybil's friends come round and one of them's just an arsehole. And you think, oh, how's anyone putting up with this guy? Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on. So Bernard Cribbins, Jeffrey Palmer, yes. Sanderson, whatever her name was. Mrs. John, John Sanderson. Yep. Eunice, Eunice Stubbs was in one. I think that one Eunice I just Stubbs. mentioned. She... Yes. And you, you just think of the give us a clue thing every time Eunice Stubbs is mentioned. Um, yeah, I think about give us a clue. And I think about... The young ones, when they talk about Unistubs, because they love Unistubs. And Felicity Kendall, yes. of course. Oh, there we go. I always think about, because I was a big fan of Give Us A Clue as a kid. I know it's not Give a kid's show, clue. I used, to, I used to like it. Yeah, well, it's that theme tune, because they changed it. It was something quite, I think it was the theme tune to Grange Hill. It was the theme was tune also... to Grange Hill. Yes, that really threw me as a kid, because I thought, what the fuck's going on? Someone's double. Where's Zamo? Someone's double dipped. Where's Zamo? <laughs> you think it was going to be like Lionel Blair on drugs? Shooting up. Yeah. Yeah, in the corner. <laughs> Mind you, sometimes he was acting like he was high as a kite, actually, Lionel Blair. Yeah. But they, then they changed it. So it was, the, it was the Grange Hill music. So whoever wrote that double dipped and got a second payday. Yes. And then they changed it, and they wrote this really funky, upbeat one. I think it was around the time Aspel went and Parkinson, Parkinson came Parkinson, with Michael Parkinson. And Lionel Blair. And Lisa Goddard. Yeah. Give us a clue. Give us a clue. No conversation, just demonstration. Is what you do. Give us a clue. Be acrobatic. Or just dramatic, whichever's you. Give us a clue. If you're specific, you'll be terrific. We're watching you. Give us a clue. Give us a clue. Give us a clue. With Michael Parkinson. Give us a clue. 
uh, with Tom Baker. Da, 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 da. And then they'd go through all the guests, wouldn't they? It would, and they'd all and, be sort of like jiving along, doing a doing um dancing in the seat. Yeah. We've got Tom Baker here, da, 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 and DLT, da, 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 the Harry Cornflake. <laughs> Give us a clue. It was exactly like that. I like that. Yeah, that's um, it's a bit of um, a screensaver earworm for me. That you know, like every so often I'll be sat doing something like some like laborious, monotonous job, and I get yeah. like um, a screensaver earworm that just suddenly reappears from my childhood, and that is mm, often one I of do them. Too. That theme tune. And I get them where I can't. I can't not think about them. <laughs> anyway, faulty towers. Yeah, that's <laughs> so how we had how we ended up on give us a clue. So, um, yeah, the first episode of the show cost twenty thousand pounds to make, which is Blimey. piss all, is it? Um, wow! But you can see you can see it's very cheap. I mean, the walls yeah. wobble all the way yes, through the do. thing, don't they? Mm-hmm. And I, I believe one of the other most interesting things about it was that every episode overran. So yes. you know, nominally they're supposed to be thirty minutes. These shows, that's really and they usually they're usually really strict. But for some mm. reason, I don't really understand. Cleese got given a long leash, and he was just basically he'd already trimmed it down from like fifty minute episodes, yeah. and he's like, well, thirty four minutes we'll have to do, yeah, and that's what they got away with doing most of the time. And they just rejigged all the other sort of the, the the TV shows that were sort of coming afterwards, and and which was unheard of, weren't it? They just didn't do that. So obviously we're we're still in the seventies with this one, aren't we? After having hashtag different times yes. in the good life, but the good life's fairly PC for the time. Yeah, I think so. There was only the odd sort of bump, weren't there? Really? Yeah, nothing too too out there. But of course, Faulty Towers has been in the press even fairly recent years yeah. for for some of the language that was used in these old episodes. Um, and I, I think it was taken off the streaming services that were owned by the BBC. And then later reinstated with a warning. Yeah, yes. Like a trigger warning. That there was going to be um, just dated, outdated languages within the episode and sort of themes within the episode as well, just to be um, aware of before you start watching. Well, yeah, because Basil, the show isn't racist and the show isn't sexist, but Basil is both and got very sort of outdated views even for the 70s. He's more... In line with like the major's generation in the way he thinks about um, black people, yeah, um, there's some homophobia, mild homophobic remarks in there, and then there's obviously the famous Gerbens episode, which was the one that was taken off the streaming service. But yeah. that was mainly because of comments that the major made, wasn't it? Yeah, but again, it, it is of a time, isn't it? Like we said, with the problematic issues within the good life, they are of a time, and they are of that character. It's not. Sort of a, well, exactly. a series. It's not a series that was promoted as um, right-wing propaganda that you'd watch and sort of get on board well, with and enjoy. It was. It was to sort of point out that that char- these characters exist. These are people that are based in in reality, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's um, unfortunately one of the things that happens in this day and age is that people don't look at context. Mm. They just hear a word and panic. Yeah. Um, and language is important, as you've said in a previous episode, but. At the same time, we're not invited to laugh and laugh along with the Major. We're yeah. laughing at this outdated um, old fool. Yeah. And and even Basil thinks it's a bit much, I think, in the yeah. scene in question. We'll deal with it in more in more detail when we get on to the German yeah. episode. But, I mean, aside from the comments he made 
uh, racial remarks that you made in that one, there was also this sort of worry about the appropriateness of making fun of the Germans. And the Germans love this episode. Yeah. The Germans. I'm talking about like they all shared the same values, but by and large. <laughs> yes, the whole collective. Oh. And I think in the 70s, I suppose, in the years sort of post-war, was that then? 30? Maybe 30. Yeah. And, and time has moved on since. And I th- yeah, I think as we're taking like it's like a retrospective look into it and i think yeah i think in the same in the same manner as we looked at things like this within the good life it's it's a case of looking at it from a distance isn't it we are looking at it sort of detached from hmm. from those beliefs if anything it's it's unkinder to the irish with that stereotyping of O'Reilly yes. than it is to the Germans. Yeah, that made me feel uncomfortable, I suppose, because there was no reference to that. There was no... No one's ever sort of said, oh, we're not doing that anymore. We don't, we're not supposed to be doing that. That was left no. in and it's almost, like, acceptable to to do that, whereas that made me feel like, oh... Yeah. I, like no, I mean, as I said, um, the Germans uh, generally really embraced the show and they did a German version of this show called... Yes. Hotel Zum Letzen Cliff. And what does that mean? Fuck knows. Don't know. <laughs> no idea. Did you know, as another little bit of little trivia, that the the voiceover, the dubbed voiceovers in the German version, they got Manuel, sorry, they got Andrew Sachs to play yes. Manuel again in German. Yes, because he, he, he was from a German background, is that right? Until he was like in his sort yeah. of like late you, childhood. He, he, was, he lived in Germany. Yeah, not late childhood, but I think he was maybe six, five okay. or six when he came over to Britain. So his, his Germany was his first language, German wow. was. So he just reprised the role, but in German, in which his, is bizarre. In his native tongue, I like that. Hmm. He, t- he, t- he did all right out of it, Andrew Sachs. <laughs> he did all right out of Faulty Towers. Although, I mean, he did get beaten up quite badly, you know. Some of those horror, you know, yeah. Basil's obviously horrible to him, but... The time when he clocks him overhead with a saucepan, he nearly he nearly bloody brained him. Yeah, it wasn't. Did he gets on fire as well at one point. Yeah, and he had burns on his arm and everything. <sighs> That's suffering I mean, for your art, isn't it? Really, you wouldn't get away with that now, would you? No, I remember there's when laws, um, there's laws now and legislation against being burnt at work. I think isn't there? recently, like in the last three or well, five years, maybe when Harrison Ford reprised Han Solo, yeah, he, he got his leg crushed in the Millennium Falcon. And he got paid a fortune by Disney because of, I, I think he broke something, you know. And wow. Andrew Sachs <laughs> was just oh, had no. to go home and just, take just some ibuprofen. Yeah, just going up a light day. Yeah. <laughs> so um, just before we finish off, I think probably it's worth mentioning the American attempts at rebooting Faulty Towers, isn't it? Mm, I don't, I was I was watching um, an interview with John Cleese about, just briefly about, about these remakes and He's he's never been on board with it. Um, mm. he, I don't think he's ever thought that they were a good idea. I think he's he's quite a he wants the original keeping as it as it is and not really doing anything with which you can understand because it's a masterpiece, isn't it? And I suppose he sees it as one of his like life's greatest works. So to see it butchered with other bits and pieces well, added on, it's just I don't know. Cleese always said he'd never write any more episodes, but then I think. His third or fourth wife took half his money, so he wrote a stage play, which yeah. gave, which w- w- was on over this neck of the well. It was supposed to be Australia, New Zealand. Yeah. But we had a massive, massive earthquake in Kaikoura, which they decided to 
to cancel it because it was just the wrong okay. time. So it was only ever on in Melbourne, this this stage show. It got right. quite good reviews. But it was basically Cleese stitched together three episodes of Faulty Towers and made them a, a play, like a, a proper okay. play. Well, obviously, not having seen it, I'm just going on the reviews. It was effectively like a three-act play. Right. Um, and he chose to do it in Australia because that's where a lot of musicals are trialled. Is that right? Days. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I remember Cat Stevens did one based on all of his old songs, and he trialed it in in Melbourne, but it never went anywhere else. No. And of course, it you know it never the same with this Faulty Towers one. It only ever played in Australia, and it was just a money cash grab. Yeah. The fact that you see Cleese more on TV and on tour with Python and everything in the last ten years is just because he got divorced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just skin. Yeah, well, I don't know about skin, but you know, probably just. Wanting to keep himself in the in the in the life he's become accustomed yeah. to, but the American remakes. Do you know who was in them? I know Steve Carell was in was in one. Really, I didn't. know that. <laughs> I don't think I've made that up. I think I think that is true. Uh, I've got I've written down here that there was three. The most recent one starred John Larroquette as the Basil character, right? Who is a good actor. I know John Larroquette. Oh, right. Hang on. Steve, a young Steve Carell as Manuel. Really? <laughs> it's not some fever dream I've had. I knew that Steve Carell was involved somewhere. Is this like in 1999 in a John Larroquette version? Let me... Must be, eh? Because the previous two versions were much earlier. John, Steve Carell would have only been... In the 1980s, Steve Carell was only a teenager, wasn't he? Right. Four attempts have been made. Well, this is This is probably what I was going to read out about B. Arthur. Hang on, let me just find Steve Carell in this. Yeah, be Arthur. Four attempts have been made in the US alone. Steve Carell made an early appearance in one as the Manuel character and in another of another version starring Be Arthur. They even went as far as writing Basil out. Yeah, Be Arthur was, was effectively the hotelier but okay. they just wrote the Basil character out, which Cleese thought was ridiculous. Was Rightly she sort so. of Basilesque in it? Or... I don't know. I've not seen it. I mean, she was quite the grump, wasn't she? That was yeah. her shtick. But in another, in yet another version, Betty uh-huh. White was in it. I think Betty Aww. White played Sybil. What? I yeah. love Betty White. So in, in some other parallel universe, you've got Estelle Getty in one. Maybe it's the major. <laughs> the majoress. Yes. Oh, going, wow. pi- picture it, Sicily, 1912. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, awesome. it's, I can imagine that for a lot of actors, it must see, it must, Faulty Towers must seem like um, like the pinnacle of of writing, of comedy, of TV shows, and, and people just want a bit of it and to have a try at it. But I don't mm. know. It's not, I don't think it's something that I would want to take on because... It's never going to be as good, no. is it? No, not at all. I think it's best left where it was as a classic of the 70s, you know? So I think that's enough general chit-chat about Faulty Towers. What do you think? Maybe we should just now um, have a break, come back next week and, and get stuck into the first episode. Do you know what it's called? I do. It's called A Touch of Class. Yes, I remember this one. I do. So you, you get a real good sense of the snobbery of Basil straight from the off, don't you, on this one? Yeah, 
absolutely it's yeah. there isn't it it's there from the from the get-go so once again if you are looking to get involved with the saddle podcast and want to get in touch you can check us out at saddle podcast on twitter and instagram where we are going to be posting out rare videos and clips and things on facebook uh, you can find us by searching for saddle podcast you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website saddle.club where you can get more information about us, read the blog post that we that we put out, um, or listen to the episodes if you don't do podcast apps. Get in touch with us again by email at saddlepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us all the things that you're enjoying, things that we've missed. Um, and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can also join our uh, small but growing collection of saddos in the Facebook group, which, as I say, will um, be one channel through which you can help shape what the third series of 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 this podcast is going to be focusing on we've got some ideas but we'll make a short list and we'll just put it to the vote eh yeah that's it we want to hear from you guys because obviously if if you if you there's something that you are desperate to be deep dived deep dove deep doven deep deep divvy you just yeah get involved and tell us because um yeah we'd love to hear from you guys so, looking forward to next week. Yeah, I can't wait. Until then, I'll see thee. Oh, we need a new catchphrase now, don't we? Yeah. I'm, on the, I'm on the lookout for a new one. Goodbye!